Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I started the show four years ago with the idea of bringing you a wide variety of people who do different things, and I'm really excited because today we're just going to go to the minimal. I actually have someone on here who bills themselves as a minimalist, and I'll be really honest, I have a lot of crap. When I look around my house, when I go into my closets, when I look up in the attic, and when I met her, I was like, I have to have you on the show because I imagine that there's a lot of things between being a minimalist and being able to get rid of some of the clutter, not just in your home, but also as an entrepreneur and in your business. Although she helps people focus on their living areas, I really think there's a lot of stuff that's going to overlap that I think we can unclutter our businesses as well. So I'm really excited to talk to today's guest. But before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. Now, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers, but dealing with all that physical stuff, that can be a pain and it steals your precious time because you have to put it in envelopes and take it to the post office. Well, my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. They can integrate with your e-commerce shop and help drive any giveaway campaigns that you might be doing. They're also great for big companies, internet powerhouses, but also entrepreneurs who are just starting out. On-demand means no inventory risk, and as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier, they can handle that for you too. So go to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. Of course, if you have a bunch of physical stuff coming in, Our minimalist friend is probably going to tell you, get rid of a lot of it. So today's guest is Dara Zykerman, and I met her here in Austin at a podcaster's meetup, but she has a really interesting business. Her business is called, oh shoot, I think it's Less Is More, and she does really interesting stuff helping people declutter their lives. So Dara, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and um the name of the company is actually less equals more. I knew it, I knew I was going to blow that. It's less equals more, and I did it. You know, it's worse because I I uh, if I'd had my readers on, I could have read it on my screen, but the print was too small. So less equals more. So let's jump in and talk about this. How did you become sort of a minimalist coach? How did that happen? What was your background? Did you did you start off like right out of college saying everybody throw everything away? Well, I certainly said that to everybody I knew who would listen to me. Um, And I had been sort of down that path um, personally and with friends and family. Um, But no, I went to school as an environmental science major. I wanted to save the planet. And my first job out of college, I stayed at for 12 years working at an environmental nonprofit organization called the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, And what we did is try to change the status quo. Um, what a building is um, to be more sustainable and focused on um, the social piece and the economic piece and the environmental piece. So the triple bottom line. So how many, how many years ago did you leave there? So I left there three years ago. So really 15 years ago, you went to work for this green building uh, nonprofit. Mm -hmm. They were really ahead of their time. I mean, that's really popular Mm -hmm. now, but 15 years ago, you guys must've been sort of the pioneers. 
Definitely. It was, a, it was sort of a startup nonprofit mentality um, that really took off. And um, it was incredibly exciting. And that's why I stayed there so long. So what made you leave? What made you decide, yeah, I'm going to go carve my own path through this crazy jungle of a career? Well, I think like most people, there was sort of a like a confluence of events that occurred. One, I had finished up a lot of major projects there. I felt like I accomplished what I wanted to. Um, I also had the financial means to leave my job and had a nice uh, cushion. Um, and I was at a point where I just wanted to do something new. I had tried professional organizing on the side, going into people's homes and uh, seeing what it was like to do that type of one-on-one work um, and really enjoyed it. I was finally ready to face my fear of failure. And that's what brought all of these pieces together and allowed me to leave my job. So it's interesting because fear is one of the biggest things that I hear when I interview people, either for this podcast or if I'm just sitting in a bar talking to somebody Mm -hmm. or I'm doing this whole survey around what I call the paradox of potential. Number Mm -hmm. one answer that people give give me that stops people from taking action to reach their potential, to chase their dreams, is fear. Mm -hmm. So what was it that got you past the fear? Um. A few things. One, I think age and experience, to be honest. Uh, I wasn't scrambling to create my own financial independence anymore. I had already created it in a sense. I felt secure that um, I could achieve so much more than I thought I could achieve 12 years prior, right? So I had a track record. Um, And for me, the facts and data go a long way um, as someone with a science background. And so I had this, the data of my own life showing me that like I had the money in the bank and I had an experience of achievements and that meant that I could do this. Um, and then there was also the feeling of not wanting to live a life of regret. So clearly, not to get too personal about your, your finances, but clearly mm-hmm. you made some smart choices along the way because people who work for nonprofits, it, they don't <laughs> make giant, giant income. So what did right. you do? Because that's always a, a problem, and that's what has held me back in, throughout my career is not really feeling like I had that cushion. What, what sort of choices did you make early on to be able to give yourself a little bit of a, of a financial foundation? Um, two things. One was educating myself, and the second was being a minimalist. So I always chose frugality over instant gratification. And I learned, uh, my dad worked for the IRS. So that was like a topic of conversation in my household was balancing your checkbook. And um, when I was a kid, my parents used to call me a miser because I would save all (laughs) of my allowance money in a little cash box. So it was just very present in my life. Um, And then it aligned so well with my values Um, of minimalism and sustainability. So for me, it was actually uh, pretty natural course of action. So, you know, that's, I hadn't thought about that as, as your answer, but the being a minimalist (laughs) actually does probably free up Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of money that could be spent on, on wasteful, wasteful things. As I just look at my own life, as I look around my own, Mm -hmm. my own house, I'm looking at all the stuff thinking that probably cost a lot to have this much stuff. Mm -hmm. So you started off a little bit frugal. That was sort of built into your DNA. You grew yeah. up with a dad mm-hmm. who understood money because he worked for, for the IRS. And, mm-hmm. and then you had this minimalist piece. Where did that come from? Um, so when I was very young, it came from my innate desire to organize everything. And when you get into that, you start to look at stuff differently. 
you start to just focus your mind on stuff and, and where it is and why you have it and why you use it. Um, and then when I really studied environmental issues, I saw how stuff uh, was such an instigator of a lot of environmental issues. Um, yes, we need clean water. Yes, we need clean air. But um, when you make stuff, you're creating the pollution that affects both water and air, just as an example. Sure. And okay. so that built up my sustainability knowledge. And then I started to see how my desire for like constant efficiency and not wasting time, because I'm actually a very lazy person. And a lazy person is very creative about giving themselves free time because they don't want to do anything. So um, I became, I'm just a, someone who focuses on efficiency and minimalism is efficiency. That's exactly what it is at so, its core. So you're also a musician and a yoga teacher. How do these three parts of your life sort of weave together? Um, I would say a minimalist lifestyle gave me the freedom to focus on other things I like to do. Um, if you live in a huge house with many, many different hobbies laying around and somewhere underneath it all is a guitar, you're probably not going to play the guitar. But if you wake up every morning and the guitar is sitting staring at you, you're going to play the guitar. Um, if there's one thing in the room and it's a guitar, then you're going to play guitar. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's one piece of it, how the minimalism fits in. Um, but the other thing is that you focus on what matters most to you in your life. And for me, being a, a creative person, I need, yeah, I need that outlet. And so um, I had always wanted to be a singer-songwriter, and I did that when I was really, really young in my bedroom, you know, when no one was listening to me. Um, and then I took, took advantage of quitting my job and having the time and uh, newfound uh, lack of fear <laughs> to really make that happen and live my dream in part because I wanted to be an example for other people and show them fully how um, creating a life with purpose um, is it needs to be holistic. You can't just get rid of a bunch of stuff and then not do anything with with the rest of your time. Well, that's when, meaningful. when I met you, I was really drawn to all this, and it was something that that's why I wanted to have you on the show because you know I'm kind of going through. I'm I'm, I'm in my fifties now. I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, but I'm I'm in my fifties, and and as I look around and I realize that now you know, I'm married, you know, my, my wife and I, we like the stuff that we have. I'm not going to, you know, sell everything and move into a tiny house, mm -hmm. but I do find myself, uh, sort of plunged into this idea of, uh, I'm trying a lot of new things in my life. In fact, my motto mm -hmm. has become try new things. And so I'm, I'm experimenting with, with different things. And I'm finding that the more I do that and the more I explore different things, the more I'm able to grow and expand and it, it impacts my personal life, but it also is impacting my business. So this whole idea of, of, of minimalism, you know, is something that I I've done very little about, but it's something that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued by. Now, one of the things I've started doing just in my closet is mm -hmm. every week I try to get rid of 25 things. It looks mm -hmm. like I will never get rid of everything <laughs> between the clothes and the other crap that is in my closet. Every week I go through and I try, and some weeks I don't get to 25 things, and it's like, oh, I can't get rid of that shirt. And then a week later, that shirt goes into the bin. So it's, it's, mm. it's a slow process. But how does, how does someone embracing this idea of minimalism, how does it really impact their life beyond, oh, you'll play the guitar that's sitting there? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my clients come to me and friends and family because they feel overwhelmed and they're looking for peace. 
And beyond any time that it gives you to pursue other activity or to feel good about your um, contribution to the environmental movement, they just want to feel good. They just want to walk into their home and not want to burn the whole house down. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to be able to find their mail. They want to feel like they're in control of their life because oftentimes our home spaces are just a reflection of what's going on inside. So I think that is one of the, the biggest drivers and benefits to adopting. And when I say minimalist, I would just say a more minimalist lifestyle, whatever that looks like for you, because I think sometimes we can get lost in like the imagery of what minimalism looks like. But the bottom line is it does your home reflect your values and, um, you know, what you want out of life versus what you think you should have and what you should want out of life. And is it in such a manner that is peaceful <laughs> and organized and allows you to like live your day-to-day -day function and feel in control? So you bring up a really, really interesting thing that comes up in so many conversations with people who want to be entrepreneurs or, you know, or, 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 or listeners of this show. And that is what maybe you think your life is supposed to be like, maybe mm -hmm. what society. So let's transfer this to sort of the career side. So many people who I talk to feel that they're stuck in a career or their mm -hmm. ladder's against the wrong wall. Yeah, they're climbing the ladder, but it's not really what they want to do. How does mm -hmm. the career side of life mirror up with what you do in people's living spaces? Um, well, you, you hit the nail on the head. We live in a world of shoulds. And our, our home spaces are a reflection of those shoulds. I should keep this because so-and-so gave it to me. And I feel guilty if I get rid of it. Um, my home should look this way so that people think I'm intelligent because I have all these books on my shelf. Um, and it, it, same thing with our careers, of course. And a lot of that comes from uh, trying to meet other people's standards um, of what a home should look like and what size it should be, and what it should contain, and what a career should look like, mm -hmm. and what is considered achievement. And that's why when I approach minimalism for myself and with other people, it's we, we erase all of that business so that we could focus on what matters to you most. And I got to say, some people know what matters to them and just haven't been able to execute it. And some people are so buried in the stuff, in these ideas, in these shoulds, that they can't even answer that question. Yeah, I think I probably fall into that that ladder. I mean, I'm just looking around. So I've mm -hmm. I've converted my my 21 year old daughter's bedroom into my office, and I've really done nothing but set up my computer. And uh, uh, I did take down a, a poster she had, and I put up behind me for when I do uh, videos where they're going to be videoing me. I've got some mm -hmm. the logos for the podcast and logos for my business on the wall. When when mm -hmm. she comes home, she's like, "What happened there?" It's like this little teeny <laughs> corner that is like all business. But I look around. She's moved out three and a half years ago. And there's still all kinds of crap piled up from her childhood in this room. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've never said, by the way, I'm throwing all this stuff away. And I, I'm looking at stuff right now that I could eliminate half of it. And she wouldn't mm -hmm. even have noticed that I eliminated half of it. Um, and so when people have that kind of, when they have that kind of clutter, where do you even start with them? Let's go back to the living. Let's go back to the living room. Mm -hmm. When people have, I mean, I'm not talking hoarder. I'm just talking mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. 
Yeah, and by the way, it's funny you mentioned about the childhood stuff. I just posted a blog uh, post about this, telling kids to get their stuff out of their parents' homes. So you should send that to your your kid because I lay it out for her pretty pretty clearly. Well, she hasn't been home in a year, and I don't know when she'll next be here. So I, I probably need to coordinate that when when she's when the next time she mm-hmm. comes, she's gone away to college and like she mm-hmm. spent Thanksgiving with her boyfriend's family. And Christmas, mm. we're doing a destination Christmas, so I don't. It might be two years before you know her, <laughs> between visits back to back to our home. And if you can go two years without coming home, I think all your stuff can be thrown away. Right, and that's why we have you know video, FaceTime, and chat, and things like that. <laughs> um, so, sorry, your question was about how do you? Yeah, where do you start? start? Yeah, where do you start? Yeah. So I start in two pretty different places. Um, the first thing I do is is really talk about what it is you want and what's important to you. Because I think you, once you identified your challenges and your actual problems in your home space and in your personal life in general, um, it starts to become clear what sections of your home need to be dealt with. So that's kind of the big picture. And then I usually go to the small picture, which is kind of what you did, which is the low-hanging fruit. What can you get rid of that's like so easy you just didn't bother doing it until this moment? And then you feel the satisfaction. You get that like little high of like, ooh, this feels good. I'm four weeks into getting rid of 25 things. And I I, I, I did go as far as to count a pair of shoes as one thing. So I, I didn't like really mm. go. I didn't treat those as two things. But mm-hmm. but I'm only three or four weeks into it. And if you walked into my closet now as a minimalist, you'd be freaked out at how much stuff there. You'd be like, you got rid of 75 things or 100 mm. things? What else was in here? So it's hard. It is, but do do you did you feel any sense of satisfaction when you did that? Uh, I've, I'm keeping doing it, so there must be okay. some. Yes, yes. There's some. There's something there. Some people have more of a like a strong feeling, and some people have less. But the idea is to do exactly what you're doing, which is like finding an easy avenue in and going through that process, and then like learning in that process. So, does it feel good? Do you look forward to doing it? What about it do you like? Have you figured out what you're going to do with clothes after you remove them? Are they sitting in a big pile by your door oh, and yeah, yes. never going to make it to the donation center? You know, <laughs> well, just, They'll make it to the donation center, but they are <laughs> sitting in a big pile by the door. <laughs> I think, you know, that's, pro- yeah, I figured. So um, that's like an example, right? You're doing a test run of this process. And then what's going to happen is if once you have that bigger sense of what you want to accomplish, then you can go to the next room and be like, you know what, I my bathroom is filled with half used bottles of things I haven't used in a million years. It was really easy to do that in the closet with my clothes, I'll do it here. And it, it kind of becomes this cascading experience where you like it more and more and you start to actually really sense the difference it's making in your life and then you're ready to tackle the harder things. So what is that difference that it makes in people's lives? It really is control and uh, lack of overwhelm and, and getting that peace and clarity. I, um, I, I am truly overwhelmed by how much stuff there is. I mean, there yeah. are, you know, thinking of this at t- get rid of 25 things a week, there must be tens of thousands of things that mm-hmm. that could go and it wouldn't impact my day-to-day life. I'm, I, like, I like to wear, I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a lot of t-shirts and I've got the ones that say like, try new things. And somebody gave <laughs> me a shirt that says that I'm wearing right now that says do cool shit. And I really mm-hmm. like that shirt. And I wear this shirt a lot, 
But Mm -hmm. I probably have four drawers of T-shirts, and I Mm -hmm. probably wear 15 of them, and I probably have 50. Well, that's great. Then you just go in, pick out the 15, and get rid of the rest. Right. So that'll be like a whole – that gets rid of 25. That's that's like one whole week is just that drawer. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it builds on itself, right? Because when you get rid of 100 items of clothing, but you started with 1,000, that's not going to change your day-to-day life. <laughs> no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling my <laughs> efforts have been, have been very small. Yeah, but like with anything, there's, it's kind of an avalanche, a good kind of avalanche rolling down the, the hill because there's a tipping point. There's a point at which your life starts to feel different, and that tipping point is different for everybody. Some people are more looking for systems and some people are more looking just to get the stuff out of their visual, um, you know, panorama. So what brings someone to work with you? I mean, who is your, who is your typical client? Um, they really do vary, but I would say that the one commonality is that they're typically in a, some sort of time of tradition or uh, transition. So it could be someone who recently retired or somebody who is moving or someone who experienced a death in the family, um, or somebody who recently had a child, or somebody who just came back, you know, back to work after having a child, something where they were shaken enough to actually see their home. Because our homes just become the wallpaper of our lives, and we don't see it anymore. And so those times of transitions force our hand a little bit. So, Daryl, what advice would you have for somebody who maybe they've worked in a job like you did? You worked 12 years for this nonprofit, and Mm -hmm. they're ready to make that move to work for Mm -hmm. themselves. What Mm -hmm. advice would you have for them to to make that switch? Because obviously you went from, you know, the job to being an Mm -hmm. independent contractor for all practical purposes. What do people need to know, and, and how does minimalism maybe tie into that? Well, the first thing, this I'll borrow from stoicism, which is you think about all the worst case scenarios and how you're going to deal with them, and then you have a plan. So I knew that the worst thing that could, would happen to me is that my business would fail, and then I could get a job after that. And if it was hard for me to get a job after that, I knew that my friends and family would help me. Mm-hmm. So I had no excuse. I was going to be fine. Um, so going through that that mental exercise is incredibly helpful. I want to jump in right there because that is so Mm -hmm. important. I have, I have a young gentleman who I mentor. He's about 30 years old and he was making a Mm -hmm. job change and there were some things going on in the job change. He was afraid that his old boss was going to find out and the new job would Mm -hmm. fall through and his old boss would fire him. And it was, you know, it was overwhelming him. It was a state of overwhelm. And, And I, and I said to him, I'm like, okay, so what happens if you don't get the new job and your boss fires you for going down this path? Mm. And the more we talked about it, he doesn't have much debt. He has very little student debt, no other debt. Mm-hmm. And he's a smart, active guy in an industry that's highly competitive, but he'd eventually find another job. And I said, you know, could, could you wait tables? Could you drive Uber? Could you mm-hmm. do something like that? You know, and he, he could. His, his minimal monthly needs was small. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm like, so the worst case scenario is what? Takes you mm-hmm. a year to get back on your feet. And he was like, yeah, that would be like the longest. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, okay, you're 28 years old. So we've just mm-hmm. determined that by 29, you're back to where you were. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as an older guy, I'm like, yeah, that really doesn't matter. 
and and it changed his whole perspective. So the way you just described what you did, I just witnessed that a few months ago. It really changed his whole perspective. And and the happy ending is, yeah, the boss did find out and the boss did fire him, but he wow. got but he got the new job, so it didn't really matter. So it was a perfect nice. everything everything happened, you know, just right. But that is mm-hmm. but that is such a key thing is mm-hmm. he was letting it paralyze him. Mm. Yeah, and you actually mentioned something else uh that ties in with minimalism. You said he didn't have a lot of like monthly expenses. He didn't have a lot. I mean, when you have a big house and a mortgage and, um, you know, a boat, <laughs> whatever you might have, mm-hmm. um, the, the risk associated with that is so much higher. Oh, I mean, that's, so that's my life. Little, I mean, I've, I've got a big house and, and we've got a, you know, ca- cars <laughs> and stuff and I've got to college yeah. tuition to pay for yeah. for the kids and, you know, all that stuff. So I, I definitely see on the financial side where, you know, minimalism, you know, it's looking more and more attractive. Right. And I live in a, all I needed was a studio apartment and like an internet connection. So um, I'm not saying everyone should live like me or everyone should live like you or anywhere in between, pick what you want, but just understand that when you're making this change in your life, if you want to become an entrepreneur, you're going to set yourself up in a much better position if you keep your risk low um, in terms of your life infrastructure. So not just like your monthly payments in life, like the things you have to pay for, but also all of the other things that maybe you've become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. So, so continue. I cut you off there. You were giving advice and I cut you off with the first point. No, but that was very helpful because that really has so much to do with it. Um, is is not only understanding what the worst case scenarios can w- would possibly be that you can think of, and like trying to overcome that, but like always minimizing your risk mm-hmm. um, by living a more minimalist lifestyle. And the other thing I, I think I mentioned before is like to me, minimalism is focus. It's just focus. It's really easy to quit your. It's actually not that hard to quit your job. It's hard to have your first day not with that job. You know, the quitting part is, is relatively easy. So what are you going to do on that first day? Well, if you're distracted by a million different ideas and systems and uh, what have you, how are you going to, to make your, get your business off the ground? But if you're sitting alone um, at your kitchen table, looking at the, you know, looking at the window and realizing it, this is it, well, minimalism has helped shape um, uh, your mind's view, and and you're able to focus on the things you have to do to make it work. No, I, I, I like I like that a lot. So, I got a couple more questions for you, but first, mm-hmm. I have to thank the sponsor of this episode, the other sponsor. This episode, mm-hmm. like so many others, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Dara. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Dara, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Um, ooh, that's a good question. The coolest thing I'm doing with my business, 
Are speaking engagements count as cool? <laughs> I, well, I think so, since I earned my living as a professional speaker. Yes, we'll go with that's as cool as you can get. You could go, yeah. Um, so aside from, you know, posting blog posts, and I'm working on a lot of content development and education, um, I got my first TEDx speaking um, gig on December 4th. No way. Uh, here in Austin. So, so, so by the time this airs, cool by yeah. the time this airs, you will have already done it. It probably won't be posted yet. But how mm-hmm. cool is that? I, I wanted to do a TEDx for many, many years, and I got to do that in March of 2018. And oh, wow. I was really, I was really excited to do it. It was a lot of work. But it's now out there. It's called The Art of Giving Small. So people can go look that up because uh, I'm really proud of that for that I did that. So how cool for you is that? That's super cool. Yeah, I'm very excited because, you know, in my work, I'm mainly um, one-on-one with clients. And I want to get out there and have these kinds of conversations, whether it be in a podcast or on a TEDx stage or any other stage. Um, it's just really cool to be able to have real communication with people about a subject matter that um, you're as excited about as I am. So that's pretty cool for me. So so I assume the talk is going to be all about minimalism. It is. And it's specifically going to be about the darker side of gift giving. And um, we're going to look more deeply into the practice of uh, buying and receiving gifts and passing down of family heirlooms. So that's all I can say about that. <laughs> wow. I can't wait till that goes. You're going to have to send me a link when it goes live. That sounds, that sounds awesome. So. Will do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, ve- that's very cool. So I love to ask the people who come on, on the show who they think is d- doing cool things. Because I think entrepreneurs, I think they're good observers. And so I always mm-hmm. ask, you know, who when you look out into the world of entrepreneurship, who do you think, wow, that's cool? Yeah, so the person who inspired me to become an entrepreneur was actually the owner of the yoga studio I went to since I started that job, you know, 15 years ago. What I love so much about what she did is that instead of just opening up a yoga studio, she found a way to weave in everything that she enjoyed in life. So she brought in artistic um, uh, day planners to help people like keep mindful while they were off the mat. Um, she did CDs and DVDs of her doing meditations and, and, um, and yoga practices. She would plan all of these incredible retreats um, where she could go to Paris, which was her favorite city. So she basically created an entire community around the things she loved and that aligned with her yoga-related values. Um, but I just noticed, like, man, every single day she just does the things I would want to do every day. (laughs) Is that what it means to be an entrepreneur? And so that's how I've designed my life. I don't feel like I'm ever working. I'm just doing the things that I would want to do. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I started this show four years ago with the idea of bringing you a wide variety of people who do different things, and I'm really excited because today we're just going to go to the minimal. I actually have someone on here who bills themselves as a minimalist, and I'll be really honest, I have a lot of crap. 
when I look around my house, when I go into my closets, when I look up in the attic. And when I met her, I was like, I have to have you on the show because I imagine that there's a lot of things between being a minimalist and being able to get rid of some of the clutter, not just in your home, but also as an entrepreneur and in your business. Although she helps people focus on their living areas, I really think there's a lot of stuff that's going to overlap that I think we can unclutter our businesses as well. So I'm really excited to talk to today's guest. But before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. Now, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers, but dealing with all that physical stuff, that can be a pain and it steals your precious time because you have to put it in envelopes and take it to the post office. Well, my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. They can integrate with your e-commerce shop and help drive any giveaway campaigns that you might be doing. They're also great for big companies, internet powerhouses, but also entrepreneurs who are just starting out. On-demand means no inventory risk. And as you grow, you can stock up on inventory and Amplifier, they can handle that for you too. So go to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. Of course, if you have a bunch of physical stuff coming in, our minimalist friend is probably going to tell you, get rid of a lot of it. So today's guest is Dara Zykerman, and I met her here in Austin at a podcaster's meetup, but she has a really interesting business. Her business is called, oh shoot, I think it's Less Is More, and she does really interesting stuff helping people declutter their lives. So Dara, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and um the name of the, the company is actually less equals more. I knew it, I knew I was going to blow that. It's less equals more, and I did it. You know, it's worse because I I uh, if I'd had my readers on, I could have read it on my screen, but the print was too small. So less equals more. So let's jump in and talk about this. How did you become sort of a minimalist coach? How did that happen? What was your background? Did you did you start off like right out of college saying everybody throw everything away? Well, I certainly said that to everybody I knew who would listen to me. Um, and I had been sort of down that path um, personally and with friends and family. Um, but no, I went to school as an environmental science major. I wanted to save the planet. And my first job out of college, I stayed at for 12 years working at an wow. environmental nonprofit organization called the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, and what we did is try to change the status quo. Um, what a building is um, to be more sustainable and focused on um, the social piece and the economic piece and the environmental piece. So the triple bottom line. So how many, and, how many years ago did you leave there? So I left there three years ago. So really 15 years ago, you went to work for this green building uh, nonprofit. Mm -hmm. They were really ahead of their time. I mean, that's really popular mm -hmm. now, but 15 years ago, you guys must've been sort of the pioneers. Definitely. It was, a, it was sort of a startup nonprofit mentality um, that really took off. And um, it was incredibly exciting. And that's why I stayed there so long. So what made you leave? What made you decide, yeah, I'm going to go carve my own path through this crazy jungle of a career? Well, I think like most people, there was sort of a, like a confluence of events that occurred. One, I had finished up a lot of major projects there. I felt like I accomplished what I wanted to. Um, I also had the financial means to leave my job and had a nice uh, cushion. Um, and I was at a point where I just wanted to do something new. I had tried professional organizing on the side, going into people's homes and 
seeing what it was like to do that type of one-on-one work um, and really enjoyed it, I was finally ready to face my fear of failure. And that's what brought all of these pieces together and allowed me to leave my job. So it's interesting because fear is one of the biggest things that I hear when I interview people, either for this podcast or if I'm just sitting in a bar talking to somebody Mm -hmm. or I'm doing this whole survey around what I call the paradox of potential. Number Mm -hmm. one answer that people give give me that stops people from taking action to reach their potential, to chase their dreams, is fear. Mm -hmm. So what was it that got you past the fear? Um, A few things. One, I think age and experience. To be honest, uh, I wasn't scrambling to create my own financial independence anymore. I had already created it in a sense. I felt secure that um, I could achieve so much more than I thought I could achieve 12 years prior, right? So I had a track record. Um, and for me, the facts and data go a long way um, as someone with a science background. And so I had this the data of my own life showing me that like I had the money in the bank and I had an experience of achievements and that meant that I could do this. Um, and then there was also the feeling of not wanting to live a life of regret. So clearly, not to get too personal about your, your finances, but clearly mm-hmm. you made some smart choices along the way because people who work for nonprofits, it, they don't <laughs> make giant, giant income. So what did right. you do? Because that's always a, a problem, and that's what has held me back in, throughout my career is not really feeling like I had that cushion. What, what sort of choices did you make early on to be able to give yourself a little bit of a, of a financial foundation? Um, two things. One was educating myself, and the second was being a minimalist. So I always chose frugality over instant gratification. And I learned uh, my dad worked for the IRS. So that was like a topic of conversation in my household was balancing your checkbook. And um, when I was a kid, my parents used to call me a miser because I would save all (laughs) of my allowance money in a little cash box. So it was just very present in my life. Um, And then it aligned so well with my values Um, of minimalism and sustainability. So for me, it was actually a pretty natural course of action. So, you know, that's, I hadn't thought about that as, as your answer, but the being a minimalist (laughs) actually does probably free up Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of money that could be spent on, on wasteful, wasteful things. As I just look at my own life, as I look around my own, Mm -hmm. my own house, I'm looking at all the stuff thinking that probably cost a lot to have this much stuff. Mm -hmm. So you started off little bit frugal that was sort of built into your DNA you grew yeah. up with a dad mm-hmm. who understood money because he worked for for the IRS and mm-hmm. and then you had this minimalist piece where did that come from um so when I was very young it came from my innate desire to organize everything and when you get into that you start to look at stuff differently you start to just focus your mind on stuff and and where it is and why you have it and why you use it um And then when I really studied environmental issues, I saw how stuff uh, was such an instigator of a lot of environmental issues. Um, Yes, we need clean water. Yes, we need clean air. But um, when you make stuff, you're creating the pollution that affects both water and air, just as an example. Sure. And so that built up my sustainability knowledge. And then I started to see how my desire for like constant efficiency and not wasting time because I'm actually a very lazy person and a lazy person is very creative about giving themselves free time because they don't want to do anything. So um, 
I became, I'm just a, someone who focuses on efficiency and minimalism is efficiency. That's exactly what it is at so, its core. So you're also a musician and a yoga teacher. How do these three parts of your life sort of weave together? Um, I would say a minimalist lifestyle gave me the freedom to focus on other things I like to do. Um, if you live in a huge house with many, many different hobbies laying around and somewhere underneath it all is a guitar, you're probably not going to play the guitar. But if you wake up every morning and the guitar is sitting staring at you, you're going to play the guitar. Um, if there's one thing in the room and it's a guitar, then you're going to play guitar. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's one piece of it, how the minimalism fits in. Um, but the other thing is that you focus on what matters most to you in your life. And for me, being a, a creative person, I need, yeah, I need that outlet. And so um, I had always wanted to be a singer-songwriter, and I did that when I was really, really young in my bedroom, you know, when no one was listening to me. Um, and then I took, took advantage of quitting my job and having the time and uh, newfound uh, lack of fear <laughs> to really make that happen and live my dream in part because I wanted to be an example for other people and show them fully how um, creating a life with purpose um, is it needs to be holistic. You can't just get rid of a bunch of stuff and then not do anything with, with the rest of your time. Well, when, when I met you, I was really drawn to all this and it was something that that's why I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, I'm kind of going through, I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties now. I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, but I'm, I'm in my fifties. And, and as I look around and I realize that now, you know, I'm married, you know, my, my wife and I, we like the stuff that we have. I'm not going to, you know, sell everything and move into a tiny house, mm -hmm. but I do find myself uh, sort of plunged into this idea of, uh, I'm trying a lot of new things in my life. In fact, my motto has become try new things. And so I'm I'm experimenting with with different things. And I'm finding that the more I do that and the more I explore different things, the more I'm able to grow and expand. And it, it impacts my personal life, but it also is impacting my business. So this whole idea of 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 minimalism, you know, is something that I, I've done very little about, but it's something that I'm mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued by. Now, one of the things I've started doing just in my closet is mm -hmm. every week I try to get rid of 25 things. It looks mm. like I will never get rid of everything <laughs> between the clothes and the other crap that is in my closet. Every week I go through and I try, and some weeks I don't get to 25 things, and it's like, oh, I can't get rid of that shirt. And then a week later, that shirt goes into the bin. So it's, it's, mm. it's a slow process. But how does, how does someone embracing this idea of minimalism, how does it really impact their life beyond, oh, you'll play the guitar that's sitting there? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my clients come to me and friends and family because they feel overwhelmed and they're looking for peace. And beyond any time that it gives you to pursue other activity or to feel good about your um, contribution to the environmental movement, they just want to feel good. They just want to walk into their home and not want to burn the whole house down. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to be able to find their mail. They want to feel like they're in control of their life because oftentimes our home spaces are just a reflection of what's going on inside. So I think that is one of the, the biggest drivers and benefits to adopting. And when I say minimalist, I would just say a more minimalist lifestyle, whatever that looks like for you, because I think sometimes we can get lost in like the imagery of what minimalism looks like. But the bottom line is it does your home reflect 
your values and, um, you know, what you want out of life versus what you think you should have and what you should want out of life. And is it in such a manner that is peaceful <laughs> and organized and allows you to like live your day-to-day function and feel in control? So you bring up a really, really interesting thing that comes up in so many conversations with people who want to be entrepreneurs or, you know, or, 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 or listeners of this show. And that is what maybe you think your life is supposed to be like, maybe mm-hmm. what society. So let's transfer this to sort of the career side. So many people who I talk to feel that they're stuck in a career or their mm-hmm. ladder's against the wrong wall. Yeah, they're climbing the ladder, but it's not really what they want to do. How does mm-hmm. the career side of life mirror up with what you do in people's living spaces? Um, well, you, you hit the nail on the head. We live in a world of shoulds. And our home spaces are a reflection of those shoulds. I should keep this because so-and-so gave it to me. And I feel guilty if I get rid of it. Um, My home should look this way so that people think I'm intelligent because I have all these books on my shelf. Um, And same thing with our careers, of course. And a lot of that comes from uh, trying to meet other people's standards um, of what a home should look like and what size it should be and what it should contain and what a career should look like mm-hmm. and what is considered achievement. And that's why when I approach minimalism for myself and with other people, it's we, we erase all of that business so that we could focus on what matters to you most. And I got to say, some people know what matters to them and they just haven't been able to execute it. And some people are so buried in the stuff in these ideas, in these shoulds, that they can't even answer that question. Yeah, I think I probably fall into that that ladder. I mean, I'm just looking around. So I've mm-hmm. I've converted my my 21 year old daughter's bedroom into my office, and I've really done nothing but set up my computer. And uh, uh, I did take down a poster she had, and I put up behind me for when I do uh, videos where they're going to be videoing me. I've got some mm-hmm. the logos for the podcast and logos for my business on the wall. When when mm-hmm. she comes home, she's like, "What happened there?" It's like this little teeny <laughs> corner that is like all business. But I look around. She's moved out three and a half years ago. And there's still all kinds of crap piled up from her childhood in this room. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've never said, by the way, I'm throwing all this stuff away. And I, I'm looking at stuff right now that I could eliminate half of it. And she wouldn't mm-hmm. even have noticed that I eliminated half of it. Um, and so when people have that kind of, when they have that kind of clutter, where do you even start with them? Let's go back to the living. Let's go back to the living room. Mm-hmm. When people have, I mean, I'm not talking hoarder. I'm just talking stuff. Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it's funny you mentioned about the childhood stuff. I just posted a blog uh, post about this, telling kids to get their stuff out of their parents' homes. So you should send that to your your kid because I lay it out for her pretty pretty clearly. Well, she hasn't been yeah. home in a year, and I don't know when she'll next be here. So I, I probably need to coordinate that when when she's when the next time she mm-hmm. comes, she's gone away to college, and like she mm-hmm. spent Thanksgiving with her boyfriend's family. And Christmas, mm. we're doing a destination Christmas, so I don't. It might be two years before you know her, <laughs> between visits back to back to our home. And if you can go two years without coming home, I think all your stuff can be thrown away. Right, and that's why we have you know video, FaceTime, and chat, and things like that. <laughs> um, so, sorry, your question was about how do you? Yeah, even where do you start? start? Yeah, where do you start? Yeah. So I start in two pretty different places. Um, the first thing I do is is really talk about what it is you want and what's important to you, because I think you, 
once you identified your challenges and your actual problems in your home space and in your personal life in general, um, it starts to become clear what sections of your home need to be dealt with. So that's kind of the big picture. And then I usually go to the small picture, which is kind of what you did, which is the low-hanging fruit. What can you get rid of that's like so easy you just didn't bother doing it until this moment? And then you feel the satisfaction. You get that like little high of like, ooh, this feels good. I'm four weeks into getting rid of 25 things. And I, 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 I did go as far as to count a pair of shoes as one thing. So I, I didn't like really mm. go, I didn't treat those as two things, but, mm-hmm. but I'm only three or four weeks into it. And if you walked into my closet now as a minimalist, you'd be freaked out at how much stuff there you'd be like, you got rid of 75 things or a hundred mm. things. What else was in here? So it's hard. It is. But do, do you, did you feel any sense of satisfaction when you did that? I've, I'm keeping doing it, so there must be okay. some. Yes, yes. There's some. There's something there. Some people have more of a like a strong feeling, and some people have less. But the idea is to do exactly what you're doing, which is like finding an easy avenue in and going through that process, and then like learning in that process. So, does it feel good? Do you look forward to doing it? What about it do you like? Have you figured out what you're going to do with clothes after you remove them? Are they sitting in a big pile by your door oh, and yeah, yes. never going to make it to the donation center? You know, <laughs> well, just, they'll make it to the donation center, but they are <laughs> sitting in a big pile by the door. <laughs> I think, you know, that's, pro- yeah, I figured. So um, that's like an example, right? You're doing a test run of this process. And then what's going to happen is if once you have that bigger sense of what you want to accomplish, then you can go to the next room and be like, you know what, I my bathroom is filled with half used bottles of things I haven't used in a million years. It was really easy to do that in the closet with my clothes, I'll do it here. And it, it, kind, of, it kind of becomes this cascading experience where you like it more and more and you start to actually really sense the difference it's making in your life and then you're ready to tackle the harder things. So what is that difference that it makes in people's lives? It really is control and uh, lack of overwhelm and, and getting that peace and clarity. I, um, I, I am truly overwhelmed by how much stuff there is. I mean, there yeah. are, you know, thinking of this at t- get rid of 25 things a week, there must be tens of thousands of things that mm-hmm. that could go and it wouldn't impact my day-to-day life. I'm, I, like, I like to wear, I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a lot of t-shirts and I've got the ones that say like, try new things. And somebody gave <laughs> me a shirt that says that I'm wearing right now that says do cool shit. And I really mm-hmm. like that shirt and I wear this shirt a lot, but mm-hmm. I probably have four drawers of t-shirts and I mm-hmm. probably wear 15 of them and I probably have 50. Well, that's great. Then you just go in, pick out the 15 and get rid of the rest. Right. So that'll be like a whole, that gets rid of 25. That's, that's like one whole weeks is just that drawer. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it builds on itself, right? Because when you get rid of a hundred items of clothing, but you started with a thousand, that's not going to change your day to day life. (laughs) No, I'm feeling, I'm feeling my efforts have been, have been very small. Yeah, but like with anything, there's it's kind of an avalanche, a good kind of avalanche rolling down the, the hill because there's a tipping point. There's a point at which your life starts to feel different, and that tipping point is different for everybody. Some people are more looking for systems, and some people are more looking just to get the stuff out of their visual um, you know, panorama. So what brings someone to work with you? I mean, who is your, who is your typical client? Um, 
They really do vary, but I would say that the one commonality is that they're typically in some sort of time of tradition or uh, transition. So it could be someone who recently retired or somebody who is moving or someone who experienced a death in the family um, or somebody who recently had a child or somebody who just came back, you know, back to work after having a child, something where they were shaken enough to actually see their home because our homes just become the wallpaper of our lives and we don't see it anymore. And so th- those times of transitions force our hand a little bit. So Dara, what advice would you have for somebody who maybe they've worked in a job like you did, you worked 12 years for this nonprofit and mm-hmm. they're ready to make that move to work for mm-hmm. themselves what mm-hmm. advice would you have for them to, to, to make that switch? Because obviously you went from, you know, the job to being an in- independent contractor for all practical purposes. What do people need to know and, and how does minimalism maybe tie into that? Well, the first thing, this I'll borrow from stoicism, which is you think about all the worst case scenarios and how you're going to deal with them. And then you have a plan. So I knew that the worst thing that could, would happen to me is that my business would fail and then I could get a job after that. And if it was hard for me to get a job after that, I knew that my friends and family would help me. Mm-hmm. So I had no excuse. I was going to be fine. Um, so going through that, that mental pr- exercise is incredibly I, helpful. I want to jump in right there because that is so mm-hmm. important. I have, I have a young gentleman who I mentor. He's about 30 years old and he was making a mm-hmm. job change and there were some things going on in the job change. He was afraid that his old boss was going to find out and the new job would mm-hmm. fall through and his old boss would fire him. And it was, you know, it was overwhelming him. It was a state of overwhelm. And, and, I, and I said to him, I'm like, okay, so what happens if you don't get the new job and your boss fires you for going down this path? Mm. And the more we talked about it, he doesn't have much debt. He has very little student debt, no other debt. Mm-hmm. And he's a smart, active guy in an industry that's highly competitive, but he'd eventually find another job. And I said, you know, could could you wait tables? Could you drive Uber? Could you mm-hmm. do something like that? You know, and he he could. His his minimal monthly needs was small. And mm-hmm. I, and I'm like, so the worst case scenario is what? Takes you mm-hmm. a year to get back on your feet. And he was like, yeah, that would be like the longest. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, okay, you're 28 years old. So we've just mm-hmm. determined that by 29, you're back to where you were. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as an older guy, I'm like, yeah, that really doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and it changed his whole perspective. So the way you just described what you did, I just witnessed that a few months ago. It really changed mm-hmm. his whole perspective. And, and the happy ending is, yeah, the boss did find out and the boss did fire him. But he wow. got, but he got the new job, so it didn't really matter. So it was a perfect right. everything. Everything happened, you know, just right. But that is, mm-hmm. but that is such a key thing. Is mm-hmm. he was letting it paralyze him? Mm. Yeah, and and you actually mentioned something else uh, that ties in with minimalism. You said he didn't have a lot of like monthly expenses. He didn't have a lot. I mean, when you have a big house and a mortgage, and um, you know, a boat, <laughs> whatever you might have, mm-hmm. um, the the risk associated with that is so much higher. Oh, I mean, that's, so that's my life. To, I mean, I've, I've got a big house and, and we've got a, you know, ca- cars and stuff and I've got to college <laughs> yeah. tuition to pay for yeah. for the kids and, you know, all that stuff. So I, I definitely see on the financial side where, you know, minimalism, you know, it, it's looking more and more attractive. 
Right. And I live in a, all I needed was a studio apartment and like an internet connection. So um, I'm not saying everyone should live like me or everyone should live like you or anywhere in between, pick what you want, but just understand that when you're making this change in your life, if you want to become an entrepreneur, you're going to set yourself up in a much better position if you keep your risk low um, in terms of your life infrastructure. So not just like your monthly payments in life, like the things you have to pay for, but also all of the other things that maybe you've become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. So, so continue. I cut you off there. You were giving advice and I cut you off with the first point. No, but that was very helpful because that really has so much to do with it. Um, is is not only understanding what the worst case scenarios can w- would possibly be that you can think of, and like trying to overcome that, but like always minimizing your risk mm-hmm. um, by living a more minimalist lifestyle. And the other thing I, I think I mentioned before is like to me, minimalism is focus. It's just focus. It's really easy to quit your, it's actually not that hard to quit your job. It's hard to have your first day, not with that job. You know, the quitting part is, is relatively easy. So what are you going to do on that first day? Well, if you're distracted by a million different ideas and systems and uh, what have you, how are you going to, to make your, get your business off the ground? But if you're sitting alone um, at your kitchen table looking at the, you know, looking at the window and realizing this is it. Hmm. Well, minimalism has helped shape um, uh, your mind's view and and you're able to focus on the things you have to do to make it work. No, I I like that a lot. So I got a couple more questions for you. But first, Mm -hmm. I have to thank the sponsor of this episode, the other sponsor. This episode, Mm -hmm. like so many others, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Dara. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Dara, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Um, ooh, that's a good question. The coolest thing I'm doing with my business, uh, are speaking engagements count as cool? <laughs> I, well, I think so, since I earn my living as a professional speaker. Yes, we'll go with that's as cool as you can get. You could go, yeah, um, so aside from, you know, posting blog posts and I'm working on a lot of content development and education, um, I got my first TEDx speaking um, gig on December 4th. No way. Uh, here that, in Austin. So, so, so by the time this airs, cool by yeah. the time this airs, you will have already done it. It probably won't be posted yet. But how mm-hmm. cool is that? I, I wanted to do a TEDx for many, many years and I got to do that in March of 2018. And oh, wow. I was really, I was really excited to do it. It was a lot of work. But it's now out there. It's called The Art of Giving Small. So people can go look that up because uh, I'm really proud of that for that I did that. So how cool for you is that? That's super cool. Yeah, I'm very excited because, you know, in my work, I'm mainly um, one-on-one with clients. And I want to get out there and have these kinds of conversations, whether it be in a podcast or on a TEDx stage or any other stage. Um, it's just really cool to be able to 
have real communication <laughs> with people about a subject matter that um, you're as excited about as I am. So that's pretty cool for me. So, so I assume the talk is going to be all about minimalism. It is. And it's specifically going to be about the darker side of gift giving. And um, we're going to look more deeply into the practice of uh, buying and receiving gifts and passing down of family heirlooms. So that's all I can say about that. <laughs> wow. I can't wait till that goes. You're going to have to send me a link when it goes live. That sounds, that sounds awesome. So. Will do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, ve- that's very cool. So I love to ask the people who come on, on the show who they think is d- doing cool things. Because I think entrepreneurs, I think they're good observers. And so I always mm-hmm. ask, you know, who when you look out into the world of entrepreneurship, who do you think, wow, that's cool? Yeah, so the person who inspired me to become an entrepreneur was actually the owner of the yoga studio I went to since I started that job, you know, 15 years ago. What I love so much about what she did is that instead of just opening up a yoga studio, she found a way to weave in everything that she enjoyed in life. So she brought in artistic um, uh, day planners to help people like keep mindful while they were off the mat. Um, she did CDs and DVDs of her doing meditations and, and, um, and yoga practices. She would plan all of these incredible retreats um, where she could go to Paris, which was her favorite city. So she basically created an entire community around the things she loved and that aligned with her yoga-related values. Um, but I just noticed, like, man, every single day she just does the things I would want to do every day. <laughs> Is that what it means to be an entrepreneur? And so that's how I've designed my life. I don't feel like I'm ever working. I'm just doing the things that I would want to do anyway and making a living out of it. That, that That's awesome. Is she here in Austin or is she somewhere else? No, she's where I'm from in Washington, D.C. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. well that that's cool. And I, I love it when it's the people who people admire, the people who who inspired them. That that really does. Definitely. That has sort of an extra little spark when it's that person who mm-hmm. was their inspiration. Yeah. The last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I have a big belief that if you're fortunate, and I think as entrepreneurs, we are fortunate. We get to carve our own path. And like you said, do what you want to do. I think mm-hmm. we have to find our own ways to sort of, you know, give back and help others, whether that's through time or money or just support. So what do you do? Um, so in Austin, I started a meetup group called Meaningful Minimalism. And it's an opportunity for community to get together and actually talk about these things. Um, I love working with one-on-one clients in their homes. I certainly love to be on stage and on podcasts and spreading this message. But I think there also needs to be community around it because we end up in our homes, isolated, trying to weed our way through where should I donate this? And how do I dispose of this properly? And what do you do with this thing? And does anyone need this? Well, we can actually have a community around that. So I started that group really focused on what's most meaningful in our lives as it pertains to minimalism so that we're not focused on the aesthetic of minimalism. We're focused on um, what kind of actually brings us all together. I, I think that's awesome. Dara, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I'm Like I said, I'm, I'm trying very hard to stick my toe in this water of, of getting rid of some of the stuff because it is overwhelming. And, and I look around, I, you know, if I died tomorrow, I think, oh, mm-hmm. my God, we just need a big bulldozer to come in and just get rid of all my crap. <laughs> and you don't want your kids to have to do that. No, so you know, any, 
Anytime you want me to come by, I'm more than happy to show you what things you can get rid of and how. I, I'm afraid that you'd scare my wife and I. I think we'd walk. Her, I think if I think if we let you in the house, I think you'd frighten us because you'd point out all the all the crap that we have everywhere. But I, I but I do it with a smile. <laughs> you, you, you do it from a place of love, I'm sure. Yes. My uh, my dad was a widower for thir- almost 30 mm-hmm. years, and he 94. We moved him into a home. But before he turned 90, he knew his days were numbered, right? He lived to be 99, but who knew that you'd go that far? So in his late 80s, he started just getting rid of stuff that didn't matter. And so he gave us a couple of years to come get whatever we wanted uh, that was ours. There were, you know, and then he went through and packed up. And if he thought something needed to be saved, he put them in boxes with each of the four kids' names in them. And so we each had like a, like a banker's box that mm. had stuff in it, everything else he threw away. And for the exactly. longest time, I thought he had thrown away my high school yearbooks. And ah. I was like, why would you throw away my high school yearbooks? And he goes, when's the last time you looked at them? 20 years? <laughs> and, you know, I was kind of bummed that he did it. And, and then I kind of got used to it that it's true. What do I care if I have my high school mm-hmm. yearbooks? Of course, then I found them in a box in Texas that I had brought them with me <laughs> at some point. So as it turned out, he didn't throw them away. But when we moved him to a home, it was, you know, there was furniture that needed to be sold through like an auction house. But other than mm-hmm. that, every closet was basically empty. There was wow. a couple boxes of photos that my brother took that were interesting to my brother. And then mm-hmm. we, we walked around. Each of the grandkids got to go around the house. And each of the kids and the sister-in-laws, I have three brothers. So the, the four boys and the, the four sister-in-laws and then the, the, wow. uh, the 10 grandchildren all got to walk around the house and pick something that they wanted. And we got to put it on the ping pong table. There were four quadrants. So each of the kids' names went in a quadrant and our families got to put whatever they wanted just to make sure it was all fair. Nobody wanted somebody to take a diamond ring and somebody else take, you know, a scarf. But we put what we wanted on the dining room table and it was interesting what the kids chose. Like, you know, the, the, my brothers and I chose things that maybe had meaning or family heirloomy stuff or whatever. My daughter, my daughter picked a bowling trophy that my dad had. And it's still sitting wow. here in, in this room. Uh, mm. You know, it's still here. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that I think that, you know, if she was to take things with her, one of the things she would always take in, you know, in her home someday will be my dad's bowling trophy. Uh, mm. But it was just one thing. Everybody took one little thing that mattered. And in a way that was great because it wasn't a bunch of clutter. And then we just turned it over to an auction house to get rid of everything else. And it was what it was. And it was kind of a clean break, but dad had done away with all the crap. Well, I'm so impressed and I absolutely love that. And I think it's a tremendous example for everybody um, to, to learn from. He, he's, he's my kindred spirit. <laughs> um, and, it, and it is funny, though, what, what things mean something to us. Well, it's he not moved, necessarily of the most value, but it's just something that we. Yeah, we he moved. He, about. We moved yeah. him from Los Angeles to Northern California and he moved into a retirement village for his last four or five years. Uh, near one of my brothers. And basically it was what fit into a minivan. My brother picked Mm -hmm. him up is all he took with him. And he moved into an apartment and the apartment was very minimalist. He had a couple of pictures of, of my mom and a couple of pictures of us and and the grandkids. And, you know, beyond that, he didn't really need any stuff. And he kind of was, that was his thing is, you know, what am I doing? I'm just kind of living out the end here. You know, he was very pragmatic about it. I mean, he knew that at 95 that, you know, it was what it was. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, all that stuff. He didn't need his golf clubs anymore because he was too old mm-hmm. to golf, you know? So it's like, he just right. let all that stuff go. Yeah. And that's all, that's all it is, is just letting it go. And yeah, if you're uh, middle-aged, you're going to need more things than you do probably when you're 94. But <laughs> you could still take that same perspective on 
trying to clear everything out and also giving things to people that you know um, actually really need them or want them instead of holding them on for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So having something for 10, 20 years that you never use when someone else could have been using it, you know, that's, that's a sort of unfortunate byproduct. Of our lifestyles. So. Boy, it would be an interesting experiment to invite you over to my house. Anytime. <laughs> oh, I, might t- I might take you up on that. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. If people need to reach out for you, maybe they, they want to have you come and speak to one of their groups. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to hire you to come in if they're local in Austin, or maybe they want you to come in by Skype and just help them if they're somewhere else. How do mm-hmm. people find you? Um, they can reach me at my website, which is whylessequalsmore.com. Um, so W H Y Y less equals more.com or email me at Dara at Y less equals more.com. So the company is less equals more and the whole message, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm, I'm a little frightened, but I'm fired up about it. I think <laughs> I'm excited you know, for you <laughs> in, in my world of try new things, getting rid of some mm-hmm. of the crap is definitely one of the things I want to try, but it's a, it's a slow process. Uh, <laughs> uh, today we're doing this interview on Friday, which means tomorrow I have to go find 25 pieces of crap to get rid of. With those T-shirts. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that's, that's right. I'm taking care of the next week and a half. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even have a show? This is all about you. I hope that you were as intrigued as I was by this interview. And, uh, you know, less equals more as the theme of this episode. And how can we take that from our personal lives and our space into our entrepreneurial journey to help make us better and more focused at what we do? So thank you very much, Dara, for being part of the show. Uh, We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Dara. I know you're thinking, what? Where will you find somebody that cool? But we always seem to do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. You go try something new. Go figure out what it is you need to try. Maybe it's throwing away 25 things today. Uh, Try something new. And while you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.